near sideline. Trinaman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown, Cougars! On the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! He's been with you for the moments that make your BYU sports memories. He's the voice of the Cougars. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Hello and good evening, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the beautiful campus of Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, our Wednesday night get-together Three weekly conversations with current and former Cougars and those who cover Cougar sports. Great to have you with us. Listening live on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. You can also get this weekly show on demand via podcast. Subscribe to BYU Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. You can also hear the archived version of this show on our Behind the Mic show page at BYURadio.org, at which you can also get the RSS feed podcast of this program. Tonight, we hit the links and the gridiron as I visit with the head coach of the successful BYU women's golf program, Kerry Roberts, and former BYU and NFL linebacker Brian Keel. Brian's interview will be featured in our Catching Up with the Cougars segment, sponsored by BYU alumni. But we start tonight's show the way we started the very first edition of Behind the Mic back on August 2nd, seven weeks ago, with the co-host of BYU Sports Nation, BYU TV's own, Spencer Linton. Hello, Spencer. Hello, Greg. It is good to be back with you. Thank you for inviting me back. Good to have you on my show after I was on your show earlier today. That's how we roll on a Wednesday sometimes. And, oh, you know, it was seven weeks ago, it was sunshine (laughs) and rainbows, (laughs) so much optimism and positivity, and and then we let the season kind of roll, and uh, four weeks in, yeah, it's kind of, uh, uh, in fact, the the bye week's a good time for everyone to kind of reset, refocus, and take a look at what's ahead, and uh, whether it's broadcasters, fans, players, coaches, everyone has a chance now to, uh, again, again, kind of of re- um, refocus for what's to come. Uh, not the start anyone imagined, but it is, as they say, what it is. And one and three is the record BYU takes into the bye week. And I don't think uh, we were being uh, necessarily uh, uh, Pollyanna or blind-eyed when we when we forecast good things for the Cougars seven weeks ago. It just sometimes you got to play the games to see what this team really turns out to be. And some things have been shown and displayed that uh, the team can certainly improve in weeks moving ahead. I feel like Kalani Satake and the staff are scratching their heads like we are because what we saw day in and day out during fall camp just hasn't translated to the field. And I know that injuries have played into that a little bit, but you're right. Once the games get going and the full speed happens, sometimes it just takes a little while. And I think the word you used this morning was intrigue about the approaching Utah State game. And I like that word, and I also am fascinated by what will happen in Logan a week from Friday because BYU will match up against a team that is not ranked in the top 25 and certainly not of the caliber of Wisconsin, but a hostile environment. What can BYU do after a bye week in in a very intriguing, fascinating matchup? Each of the last three games featured BYU playing an opponent that you will find in this week's top 25. So it's back-to-back-to-back ranked weeks, and... and, and, uh, 
BYU wants to be able to compete with and say they play with the best, and that's what they they say to be the best. You will have to beat the best, and BYU has in years gone past uh, beaten those teams, not back to back to back weeks necessarily, but they'll compete. and And this time around, uh, the ranked teams kind of had it over on BYU, and and so last year's one and three, and this year's one and three feel a little bit different because we all know how close last year's one and three was to being three and one or four and zero, oh, whereas this year one and three feels like the just result. That's what those teams earn, and that's what BYU earned in getting to one and three. And life as a Cougar in the era of independence is that you are likely to see very good football teams in the month of September, which has happened again this year. Yeah, I'm a history buff, and with what has happened, I like to go back and say, okay, has BYU ever encountered something like this before? And I look at 1991 and 2004 in terms of the difficulty of scheduling. In 91, BYU was coming off of a Heisman Trophy campaign led by Ty Detmer. With the guy who still, and he was still the quarterback. That was Ty's senior season. Exactly. So he was coming back off a Heisman Trophy, and they faced a murderer's row that had them 0-3 with with an all-timer at quarterback. And that was a uh, Florida State, UCLA, Penn State back-to-back-to-back. And uh, uh, now all three of those games were away from home. We we need to note, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It was uh, it was a neutral field, Anaheim for Florida State, and then uh, at the Rose Bowl, and then uh, in State College, and down in State College to, to, to or down in uh, yeah State College to play Penn State. So that was a little bit of difference uh, from this year, but that that shows uh, even with great players and really good teams, uh, sometimes the best will will have it over on you. Yeah, and two thousand four as well. Granted, uh, Stanford was on the road, but number one ranked USC at home. And then BYU goes and plays a competitive game against Boise State. Unfortunately, Matt Payne misses a late field goal. But things two years later got much better. And John Beck was the quarterback. He had Todd Watkins on that team, Curtis Brown. I mean, there was talent on that roster. They were just a little bit young. And Ty Detmer told me last week, when I came back from my senior year, we were just young. And we just needed time to get going. That's the Heisman Trophy winner who lost to Hawaii and then Texas A&M and then opened his senior season with three straight losses, five straight losses for the Heisman Trophy winner. He said, look, I've been through just about everything. We were young, and it just sometimes takes time to hit those marks. They did not lose again that year, by the way. In 1991, after opening up 0-3, they won eight and tied twice in the final ten games. And so, and, and as we've shown, and BYU has shown, shown historically, uh, we're going to hear from Brian Keel later on in this hour, his junior and senior seasons. They lose a couple times in the first three weeks, and then they don't lose again. And, uh, and BYU last year was 1-3 through four games, and then won eight of the last nine games. And so BYU has been here before and historically flips it around and gets to where they want to be, which is the postseason. And uh, every chance will be given them to do so again this year. There are maybe a few more hurdles um, existing because of how BYU's played in the first month and just because of who those teams are. Boise State, Mississippi State, our game's still to come. Uh, Hawaii in Honolulu is never a joke. And again, Ty Detmer knows what it's like to take good teams to Hawaii and lose there. And so the Rainbow, uh, the Warriors have gotten BYU in, in the past, and they'll be fired up at the end of that season. And the Utah State game has its own character and personality, and that's why we think it's so interesting what's going to happen a week from Friday up in Logan. Yeah, and the narrative around BYU, not just local, Locally, but nationally. I mean, CBS Sports released their 1 through 130 college football rankings 
earlier this week. They have BYU at number 83, and I thought, wow, 83rd. I know BYU hasn't played well, but 83rd, has, has it fallen that far? And so I just thought, well, why not poll BYU fans? So threw it out there, and about 400 votes later, and an hour after I put the poll out asking where BYU fans thought the Cougars belonged, almost 70% of the votes had BYU 80, between 80 and 100. And Which so, is, has to be clearly our, our, our reflection of results, but if you put November's schedule in September, you're probably not looking at the 83rd ranked Exactly. Team. How does that change? Yeah. And, and that's where I was going, is if you play San Jose State, Fresno State, and uh, an FCS opponent to open the season, BYU's not the 83rd best team in the country. Now, that's why we wait for 12, 13, or 14 games to determine just how good this football team was. But uh, again, we, don't have, we have to look no further than last year to see a 1-3 and three start and see a team uh, come back around and make some progress. It's a little different this year, as we've noted, in part because uh, they're starting over at quarterback. For how long, who knows? But uh, Bo Hodge, uh, in, and uh, it's tough to open your college career against the number 10 team in the country, <laughs> uh, as Bo did against Wisconsin. Uh, but I think, again, two full weeks of work for him uh, should give him a much better chance to kind of hit the ground running uh, figuratively and literally against uh, Utah State here in nine days. We presume it'll be Bo once again. Uh, and, and, again, we don't really know how long Tanner will be out, but for the time being, it's Bo's, it's Bo's show. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's a guy that relishes the opportunity. Uh, speaking of his dad, Merrill, on Saturday, he used the word composure to explain Bo. And I saw that firsthand after he came out and throws his first pass, not a good one, intercepted by Wisconsin. And then he comes down and manufactures a drive that gets BYU inside the red zone that's halted by a penalty but resulted in a field goal. And I thought, you know what? That's a, that's a sign of some moxie from a kid that's making his first career Division One start against a team that, let's be honest, could potentially be in the college football playoff. I mean, I think the Wisconsin yeah. is that good. We have, we have to reset a bit on LSU, not knowing what they're going to be after Mississippi State just housed them on the weekend. But Utah looks like a team that will contend in the Pac-12 South. And so what BYU just went through is a legitimately uh, difficult stretch with a lot of novelty that we knew would be uh, a challenge for this year. But uh, a more accurate reflection of this team comes probably a month from now uh, than it does right now. Uh, basketball. Starts up soon enough, and we'll get to that on future shows. Soccer is going, and you and I will call uh, Utah Valley on Friday night. It'll be a Brent Anderson revenge tour game. Not really, but it's his, for- <laughs> it's his former team coming to town, and, and UVU tends to play BYU tough, as most in-state teams end up doing. But uh, I think that maybe soccer has maybe flipped a switch and has maybe turned a bit of a corner, too. Yeah, it was nice to see the ladies uh, score seven goals in their last three matches. Uh, come out against Oregon State, game that you called on BYU Radio. And then on Monday afternoon, wasn't really sure what was going to happen after a pretty decent Kansas team scored, you know, maybe one of the goals of the year. An unbelievable yeah. shot. And uh, put BYU on their heels. But the ladies responded with three unanswered goals, ended up winning that game 3-2. to two, And it just seems like they're starting to find their mojo up front, uh, led by uh, a very, very soft-spoken yet loud-on-the-field gamed Nadia Gomes. Yeah. So they play uh, Friday night, 7 o'clock, BYU and UVU. Watch Spencer call it on the TV. Hear me call it on the radio. Uh, In the interim, since we last met, uh, August 2nd, you were here uh, on the show. Uh, You were able to be part uh, of a special uh, and unique presentation that the BYU football program does on Thursdays called the True Blue Hero. And uh, your father uh, was honored by the team in recent weeks. Uh, Maybe you could take us through that experience. So my dad... uh not too long ago, was uh, diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer and it has advanced uh, into his kidneys and uh, his liver and uh, some bones. Um, so a very you know, painful experience. 
Um, but he's a guy that doesn't really like to shed a lot of light on himself. And so when this was presented to me by BYU Football, and this is the staff that we're working with. I mean, that Kalani Satake and Jack DeMooney and Russell T. Lavea, they all kind of put their heads together and said, well, let's, you know, let's uh, do something with Spencer's dad. And, I mean, he was blown away. And you got involved. And I had no idea that uh, you were going to be the narrator for this True Blue video, which was super Amazing. And my parents were teary eyed watching that in the BYU uh, football team room. And I mean, it, it, it was just fun to watch a guy that has struggled and has sacrificed so much and has never really been in the limelight kind of be the center of attention. And I just wanted them to have some happy memories and some good news for the first time in a while. He uh, just had a series of pretty intense tests and bone scans and, uh, improvement for the first time since this whole battle began slowing the cancer down um so we know that the prayers and efforts um and optimism and positivity are paying off he's got a long road ahead of him but uh, yeah some good news to report and that's yeah. that's nice for a change it's wonderful to hear and uh, uh deserving of the blessings coming his way and all the best to him you your mom and your family and uh, we'll do this again, certainly, here in Studio 2. Spencer, thank you for leading us off tonight on the Behind the Mic. Hey, you got it, Greg. Thanks, man. All right, that's Spencer Linton. We're taking a break, and we'll come back with Carrie Summerhays-Roberts. Carrie Roberts is the head coach of BYU Women's Golf, and she'll be joining us next. I look forward to this conversation. Later in the hour, we'll have Brian Keel with us. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, and you are listening to us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. We're back with Carrie Roberts right after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. Well, she's a member of a clan you could arguably call the first family of Utah golf. The Summerhays family has produced a collection of former and current coaches and players at all levels in the sport, from club to college to professional tours. Carrie Roberts was once Carrie Summerhays, daughter of Bruce, sister of Joseph, niece of Lynn, cousin of Daniel, Boyd, David, and I'm leaving a lot of people and relations out of that mix. Suffice it to say, it's a family tree with long-reaching roots. As a standout athlete at Wasatch High School, Carrie played soccer, basketball, softball, and yes, golf. A state champ on the hardwoods, a world-class junior golfer on the links, Carrie played golf at BYU from 1998 through 2002. She helped BYU to three NCAA West Regionals, became a conference player of the year, tied a school record that stands for career victories, and caddied for her dad on the senior PGA Tour in her spare time. As a pro on the LPGA Tour, she qualified for two U.S. Open championships, among other things. In 2010... Carrie was named head coach of the BYU Golf Program, the program for which she played, and in seven seasons leading BYU Women's Golf, she's guided the Cougs to NCAA West Regionals four times and won NCAA Championship Tournament in 2016. In each of the last two seasons, BYU has won the West Coast Conference Golf Championship, and Carrie's Cougars are the preseason picks to win again in 2017-18. She was named WCC Coach of the Year after each of the last two seasons. Carrie's just off the road. Her team played to a fourth-place finish at a tournament in Tennessee earlier this week, second tourney of the season after BYU finished 11th at an event with an extremely strong field last week in Minnesota. Carrie Summerhays-Roberts joins me in Studio 2 tonight on Behind the Mic. Hello, Carrie. Hello. Thank you. You have done your homework. Well, there's a lot to talk about when <laughs> it comes pretty, to you. That was pretty good. So did I. I didn't, hope I didn't leave too much out. There's a lot to get in. Um, home for you was Heber City, right? Correct. Were you born there? 
born and raised. Yep, same house, same everything. It, does the house, do people still live there in your family? No, is it still a family home? It is not. I have a sister who lives in Heber, but every time it's for sale, I want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like uh, growing up in that part of Utah? Oh, I loved Heber. I mean, we very, very small town. My dad was a head pro over at Wasatch. So that's where we grew up, really, was Wasatch Mountain State Park. We were dropped off there in the morning, and you played all day, and you picked up the range as a family at night, went and got pizza, went home, and we did it again the next day. It was, it was a lot of fun. So you're clearly a golf family. It's obvious, but, but you weren't just golf. I mentioned the other sports you played. Did you feel uh, drawn to golf innately, or are you like, I'm going to play everything and just see what kind of sticks? I loved golf from the beginning. Um, my mom said, I mean, I played in my first tournament when I was five, and I begged to play. She didn't want me to play. I was too young, but I begged and begged to play. I've always loved golf, but I've always loved sports. My family's very athletic, and we just kind of played whatever sport was in season. That's just kind of what my family did. So when we played basketball, you know, when basketball season was in, we played basketball. My dad was the the coach at, at Wasatch High, the JV team, and, and, you know, that's just what we did. But golf, I was, uh, I, I could guess you could say the the better at right sport and had a uh, better future for me in golf what of the other sports i mentioned which one uh, did you take to most naturally and most enjoy oh basketball 100 percent. loved it loved being on the court loved loved winning just loved everything about it were you a point guard point guard yep state so, champs somehow that makes sense that you'd be a point guard <laughs> yeah. uh, just personality right? and yeah it just feels feels like yeah. that would have fit you well yeah were you a scorer or, oh, yeah. or, or more of a distributor? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I guess you could say both. Um, kind of whatever it took to win, right? I think uh, at, by the time I graduated, I was fifth in the state in three-pointers. I loved the three-point shot, um, but also need, could dish if we needed to. And what year did you win the state title? Uh, 96. Who'd you beat? Uh, I, I can't even remember. Where was the game played? UVU. Yeah. Memorable game? Was it a tense game, dramatic game, or did you guys kind of roll? Oh, no, it was intense. I actually fell out uh, in the beginning of the fourth quarter, um, so that was intense. You know, I had 18 points or something, and so just having to watch my team win, you know, hold on, basically, with the lead was mm-hmm. super intense, but it was awesome. I, I, we have the videos of the games, <laughs> and we love to go back and watch them. Great times. So I, 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 this is a Los Angeles Times article from 1989. <laughs> I wasn't even yet married. Um, I, I want to read you a little bit from this article wow. in L.A. Times. Uh, it's a couple paragraphs, so bear okay. with me. Uh, in the clubhouse, on the links, there they were. Run to your car and drive someplace else at 100 miles per hour, and they already were there. Check out any one of the four golf venues Wednesday during the 22nd Optimist Junior World Championship, and there they were, a whole posse of them, with innocent grins that implied what took you so long. There were four at Presidio Hills, three at Torrey Pines, two at Balboa Park, and two at Singing Hills. They are the Summerhays entourage, 11 golfers from two related families plus a supporting cast of five. They've been coming to San Diego each summer since 1981 for the fun and competition of the Junior Worlds, the largest international junior golf tournament in the world, with 733 entrants representing 33 countries and 35 states. The Summerhays family alone makes up 31% of the entrants from Utah. And they are not just here in quantity. They also happen to be pretty good golfers, some of them very good. Of course, that would come as no surprise to Utah. Golf is in the family's blood. I just love that. I I got the chills. That's my childhood right there. Junior World, San Diego, 
every summer you look forward to it. We drove down with Lynn's family, um, and that was like that was our summer vacation. We we went down there. We played Presidio as a family, you know, a family tournament. That par three course. I don't know if anyone's ever played there, but you got to go to Presidio Hills in San Diego and play that little par three course. And that that's my childhood. That was awesome. So you. Uh, daughter Bruce, seven siblings, eight eight kids in your family. Yeah, I'm the youngest. So youngest of eight, Lynn and his wife had seven. Correct. And then the other brother Gary. is Gary, eleven. Yeah. And he, and Gary's daughter Hannah would have played here at BYU correct. too. Okay, she's yeah okay. for me. Okay, so and again, there are, of the of the people who played at BYU, uh, you, Hannah. And then you got Daniel, Joseph, and David, right? Those would have been the Cougars. Yeah. Boyd went Oklahoma State. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. That, those are the ones that the, the, yeah, the yeah, call. Yeah, yeah okay. Yep. Um, just first of all, that on the outlier part there, uh, Boyd's <laughs> your cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one guy that didn't come here. What, right. what, drew him, what drew him there? Well, he was number one in the country. Um, hard to pass up Oklahoma State. You know, woo. Great and, tradition. Yeah, yeah. And great facilities, great uh, coach. Um, hard to turn that down, you know, that opportunity to – you know, and as good as they were, I, you know, I remember back in those days, it was like if you went there, you would win a championship every four years. Within those four years, they won a championship. It's hard to pass up. You were really good, too. Uh, why was BYU the choice for you? Yeah, I actually went to uh, Oklahoma State on a visit, UCLA, New Mexico, and BYU were my um, choices. They took me to a frat party at UCLA that that uh, X'd out UCLA. It was a dud there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I actually didn't know who I was going to go with. I had my NLIs. You know, back in the day, you didn't commit early. You waited till signing day and you signed. And I remember having my three NLIs out on the table, not really knowing where I wanted to go. And I asked my dad, Dad, what should I do? NLI, National Letter of Intent. Yeah. yeah. What should I do? And his advice was, well, what do you want? I said, what do you mean? He goes, what do you want for your future? You know, I said, well, I want to play professional golf and get married in the temple. And he goes, okay, which one's going to give you that? So I said, okay, I chose to be with you. And you had a very successful career here. Uh, what would be your favorite golf memories as a player here at BYU? Oh, you know, it's funny being a coach now. I, I'm drawn to, you know, all the memories of the girls, you know, my friends, Lisa and, and, and you know, and. Uh, Margaret and and those Jessica, you know my those memories with those girls, just creating those memories. They were so fun and the things that we got to do. And I remember going to the aquarium in Monterey, thinking, "Wow, this is the coolest thing." I mean, you know what I mean? I, I didn't hadn't done many things like that, um, but just the memories that you spend so much time together. I mean, you you do everything together: work out, practice, travel. It's hard. You're tired. You know, you go through hard things together, and you know some of those successes, winning tournaments. You know, going to regionals, but those memories with the girls and those friendships—they're awesome. And that's what you get to observe yeah. developing with the girls you're now totally. coaching at BYU. Yeah. Um, a bit of a sidetrack here. Uh, your father, Bruce, yeah, um, means a lot to me because yeah. uh, back when I was a young broadcaster, um, KSL was sponsoring the uh, senior event at Park Meadows every year, and so we would actually broadcast the golf tournament, for lack of a better word, on radio. And I was cool. assigned that, and and um, you know, I had no connections in the golf world, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, your dad was the nicest possible 
connection I could have had to how to do my job, which I did once a year. And so I got to meet him. And he was the kindest and the most generous and would interview whenever I needed him to and would introduce me to these guys that I've only, you know, watched yeah. on TV. And and so, you know, Bruce kind of became, uh, you know, my my liaison, my lean on guy to learn how to do what I had wow. to do. And he was just so kind and uh, became my favorite senior golfer for, you know, ever at that point. And then I got to go watch him do what he did and, and yeah. play so well. But he was, you know, became a really special golfer to me. Right. And uh, so he has meant a lot to me uh, over the years. And then, you know, fast forward a number of years, and he's now retired as a senior golfer. And uh, and I was with my family at one of uh, one of the temple, um, one of the LDS temples. I forget where I was. One of the LDS temples visitor centers, and you could watch on the video screens yeah. presentations oh, and whatnot. Yeah. And they had one with your dad when he was yeah. serving as a mission president. Uh-huh. And uh, and you know, I just sat there, just kind of you know, kind of transfixed by the fact that this. Very successful uh, gentleman, right. especially in the golf world, was had now entered a new phase of his life, right. and was uh, approaching people in a, in a manner totally different than right. than you would have expected. And it was one of those moments that kind of hit me like, man, what a special, cool. special man! Yeah. And uh, I just think you're lucky to have such a Thank dad you. like that. Yeah, very lucky. I remember on tour, you know, the senior tour, all the guys. Is he for real? Is, is he for real? You know, that that nice, that too genuine. Nice. Yeah, 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 he's too nice. He's too genuine, and and we're like, yeah, that's. That's him. <laughs> that's, that's who he is. And over time, they realize, yeah, that's who he is. And he's such a good guy. Very good guy. And he kind of entered that world at kind of a unique stage of his life. Totally. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was like, yeah, I think I'm good enough to try this out. Let's do and it. all of a sudden, he's <laughs> yeah. competitive on the senior PGA <laughs> yeah. Tour with these legends. I know. It's kind of wild. Our life changed overnight. Just, I mean, he went from playing in these Utah section events to now playing nationally on TV every week. And every week he was competitive. Right. I mean, he holds – he's up there with the top tens and, and, I mean, because he was in it every week. So you turn it on and it was exciting to watch. Yeah, that was it. Was the neatest thing just yeah. watching him be that successful cool. and realizing the kind Thank of person you, yeah. he was and how genuine he was with me. And I just anyway, I just I a huge, 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 huge fan of his. Uh, so the opportunity, well, LP. I don't want to skip over LPGA. Yeah. Um, how how do you view that phase of your life? Um, your, your your professional stint. Yeah, learning, growing. I was young, didn't know what I was doing. Um, you know, it's interesting with my dad doing it and even seeing it and being involved with his career. It's so different when you do it. You know, and and I, as much of golf as I played, I lacked experience in national tournaments. So going and all of a sudden being thrown into these things, I was just like, man, what is this? You know, and I realized very early on, either I committed my entire life to this and it was going to be a process or, you know, we'll play it out a couple of years, you know, and see how long we can ride it out and then, you know, start a family and and you see very few women have a family out there. It is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, Julie Inkster yeah. has made an incredible career doing it. But it's it's quite uh, difficult, you know, to do that. And I had to get better. I had to improve to stay out there. So I really had to commit everything. And it was like, well, you know, we'll go a different direction. It was a lot of pressure, a lot of things, learning experience, which, you know, now looking back, I can help my girls with. Right. Like, hey, this is what you're going to face. This is what you need to be prepared for. So let's get prepared for it. So in that way, it's actually really cool for me, you know, to be able to have experience that and say, this is what you need. Is my timing right? Did you marry Corey right after college and pre-pro? Is that the way it was? That is correct. I I graduated in, uh, I guess, that June. We were married that September. 
and then I qualified in November. So boom, boom, boom. Okay. Yeah. So you're married to Corey and family? You guys have? Three kids, yeah. 11-year-old Mary, great soccer player. Uh, seven-year-old Hank, he'll be seven, I guess, on October 2nd. And then four-year-old Lincoln. Does Jen Rockwood know about Mary yet? Oh, of course. Okay, good. Make sure that happens. <laughs> yeah, every time I see her, okay. I give a little plug. <laughs> okay, so the opportunity to, re- to return to BYU as as a coach, was this something you'd been um, secretly hoping for someday or out of the blue for you? Kind of out of the blue. I, you know, I was done playing and really missed it, really missed golf. And so I started teaching lessons. People are asking me for lessons. So I grew quite a bit of uh, following in Austin, teaching a lot of kids lessons and I kind of told my husband I was like there's something more you know there's something more I want to do I'd actually thought about reaching out to the University of Texas maybe volunteering a little bit we had a baby so that was going to be difficult and I did kind of have this you know desire to do more coaching was obviously I was like okay I've got this talent what do I do with it coaching is kind of there not thinking the BYU job would ever pop up and out of the blue, it kind of did, and it was just immediate. I'm going for it. I want to mm-hmm. go for it, you know. And it was kind of talking through my with Corey, you know, what do you think? And without hesitation, oh, you go for it. Well, at the time, I was pregnant with our second child, and I was like, well, you know, what do we, you know, what are we gonna do? Are you gonna stay home? Are we gonna, you know, daycare? What are we gonna do? And he's like, I'll stay home. I'll watch. He's a, you know, an attorney, so he can do what he does from home. Mm-hmm. And he kind of saw the bigger picture and said, look at the influence you can have on people's lives. I didn't see it like that. I thought I have a talent I can teach people golf. And he's like, look at this influence we can have, you know, as a family. You know, you got to go for this. So we laid out a plan and just did it, you know. It wasn't easy, but it was, it's been amazing. Now suddenly you're in your eighth season yeah. doing this. Wild. Uh, <laughs> back, back-to-back conference championships yeah. in the West Coast Conference, which produces some good golf. Uh, yes. what, what are your aspirations for the program? Oh, keep going. I mean, I want to compete for the national championship. Uh, you know, I was there with Alex last year, and it was just like, gosh, you know, it's one thing to get here with a team. It's one thing to get here with an individual, and that's a big deal. You know, you got to make steps in your program, and and it was very cool. And But it's just like, I want to compete. You know, I want to be in that match play. I want to hold that trophy at the end, and that's what we aspire to, just keep growing, keep getting better. And, you know, conference championships have got ten fingers, two rings. We've got <laughs> eight more to go, and then, you know, we got to get the big ring, you know, compete on that national level and i think with match play it's very very possible now you know with match play it levels the field you get some yeah. tough competitors and it's game on you got the ncaa taste a couple of years ago yeah. uh, and some of those girls are still with yes. you yes uh yeah. so what do you think about this year's roster and the ability to maybe get back there i'm excited about this roster you know the difference that, between this team and, and last year's team is everybody has that ability to shoot even par better you know last year we kind of didn't quite have that talent at four and five um you know, four, five, six, I guess you could say now, I mean, it's just who's going to go, you know, to the event. And it's exciting to see these young sophomores, you know, throw down some numbers and Kendra, you know, shooting a 66 last week. And so we have that ability. I'm, I mean, I'm excited. So the competition, uh, to be in that group every week is pretty intense. It is very intense. I mean, it's, which is great, which as a coach is what you want, you know, and make them competitive, make them want it. Um, not that they couldn't want it any more, right? But it's exciting. Yeah, that's what you want is just compete, you know, go get it. Okay, compare the pressure of <laughs> playing to coaching <laughs> to caddying. Oh, man, I tell you Caddying what. for professional. <clears throat> Gosh, it's so nerve-wracking. I'd rather play 100%. Give me the club. You know, let me hit the shot. Uh, you're in control. 
you know, you're in control. Now watching coaching, oh, my goodness. When we won our first conference championship, you're not breaking through, you know. is I was sick. I mean, I was sick. We're losing shots coming down the stretch, and I literally started to not be able to feel, you know. I was like, I can't feel my arms. I, can't, I don't think I can breathe. Like, what's going on? Let's go. You know, we just got to finish. And uh, watching caddying is, you know, number two. Uh, you know, coach coaching is just, oh, it's, it's crazy pressure. and. You have no control. You know, they're the ones hitting the shot and stuff like that. So mentally you're a bit of a mess. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. You know, composed on the outside, inside, you're just like, let's go, you know. Normally I'm pretty pretty calm, pretty confident, you know. But when it comes down to that, you know, that first breakthrough was pretty intense. After that, we're pretty confident that we can do it again. And, you know, but that first time was pretty nuts okay 30 seconds as we wrap up on okay. on danny uh being yeah. somebody we can see every week Love basically it. how yeah, cool he's is that amazing he's amazing amazing person amazing golfer he's so talented yeah i wish all the best for him he's amazing and the state of utah is doing pretty darn well right now isn't yeah, it go with t- young golfers go tony, my gosh man. yeah between tony and zach and danny i mean there's the guys we can watch yeah. pretty much every week and say Love yeah it. they've got a shot Love hey it. it was really cool having you in here tonight thanks for doing this and i think we'll do it again and i hope you uh, agree to come back and talk some more golf with us and i wish you all the very best this year with thank your team you very much it's been very cool one of the coolest experiences as a coach so thank you no pleasure was mine very excellent all right that's uh, carrie summer hayes roberts with us this is behind the mic with greg grubel here in studio two at byu Radio. We'll come back and talk with former BYU linebacker and NFL linebacker Brian Keel. He is just around the corner. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Brian Keel next. Stay with us. Did you know that BYU has more than 80 alumni chapters worldwide? It's a way to connect with other alumni, help students in need, and help spread the influence of the Y all around the world. Most places have chapters where you live, and there are also chapters based on what your major was or even your profession. And chapters do great things, like helping provide financial aid for more than 400 BYU students this year. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. BYU alumni, connected for good. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Back on Behind the Mic in time for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment presented by BYU alumni. The third of three brothers to play for the BYU Cougars, Brian Keel, belongs to the fraternity of great Cougar linebackers, appearing first as a role player in his freshman season of 2002 before embarking on missionary service to Canada in 2003 and four. He returned in 05, playing now for a new head coach in Bronco Mendenhall and helped the Cougars back in the postseason for the first time since 2001. As a junior and senior starter in 2005 and 2006, Keel was a star at outside linebacker, recording 20 and a half tackles for loss, including seven sacks over two years. He had interceptions in three consecutive games midway through his senior campaign. That season ended like his junior season with an 11-2 record and a bowl victory. Upon graduation, Brian was a fourth-round draft pick of the NFL's New York Giants, for whom he played in 31 games over three seasons. He would go on to play with the uh, St. Louis Rams, Kansas City Chiefs, and Washington Redskins before playing his last NFL game in 2013. Brian Keel joins me in studio on Behind the Mic. Brian, thanks for coming in. Hey, anytime, Greg. It's it's always a pleasure. Glad to talk BYU and 
Glad to do Greg Rebella solid. Any chance I can get. <laughs> so I, I rarely spend a lot of time with my interview subjects on the first day of their lives. But your birthday, the day you were born, is more significant, I think, than most for the story that uh, surrounds it. Yeah, 100% correct. So I, I was born, at the time I didn't know this, I mean, for 25 years of my life I didn't know these names, that, but um, a few years ago I found all of this out. But yeah, so I, I always knew I was adopted, of course, but a guy named Maurice Turner and a gal named Amy Evans, and um, those were my biological parents, and he was black, she was white, uh, he was Catholic, she was Mormon. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of a, a pickle they were in and, um, she wanted to get married. He didn't think it would work. Um, she decided to place the child, me for adoption that broke his heart. And uh, long story short, she made that decision in 1984. He didn't have a say, so he never saw me, never heard. And, and in fact, to this day, they still haven't spoken, which is, it's kind of sad to me. I speak to both of them regularly. In fact, Amy came to the, the game with me. On, on Saturday. His first, first time he's ever been to a the, BYU football the game. Wisconsin game. Yeah, first first game. No it was kidding. a bad, bad first game. Yeah. I, <laughs> so, yeah, so I found all this out a few years later. She placed me for adoption. That really broke his heart, and he's still really mad about it. He feels he feels to this day like he got robbed, and and my heart I go, goes out to him. I mean, I have three kids, and I can't imagine, you know, wanting them and – and never seeing them, and I just can't imagine what happened to him. And and at the same point, um, I can totally relate with and understand Amy, her situation. She wanted to get married. She wanted her child to have the solidarity of a, a, a father and a mother in the home. And when she realized that wasn't going to be the case, she felt the best option for the baby would be adoption. And, and I'm grateful for that. She chose um, an LDS family. And that's how I got to the Keel home. I do want to get into life with uh, Gary and Nancy Keel, but you say Maurice and Amy have not spoken. They haven't. No. So I found them. I found them in November of 2009. So I found I found him first, and then through him, I was able to find her. And he gave me the info. Obviously, names and stuff. And right. Then right. Gave me the info of people that I could contact to then contact her. And very different experiences with both of them. Both and and have an amazing relationship with both of them now. Amy lives here. She's married. She has five kids. Um, her her second of, of, of her, her family, second son of, of that family, just got back from his mission. Mm-hmm. And um, they're just, and then her oldest of, of her immediate family, um, he's just expecting a, a, a child here soon. So, I mean, there's just exciting. It's been fun to, to have this other family. Um, you, grew up a, you grew up in a big family. I did already. And now you have yeah. a bigger family. So, yeah, like, so yeah. people, you know, if, if the subject comes up, how many siblings I have, it actually <laughs> came up the other day, and I said straight face to someone, well, I have 15 brothers and sisters, and they didn't really believe me, believe me but I, I, I literally have 15 brothers and sisters. So the Kiel family, um, how they were formed, Gary and Nancy, they had three kids. They couldn't have any more kids, wanted to have more, so they started adopting, and they adopted six. So they have nine. So I grew up with. Eight siblings, eight siblings in that family. And a a yeah. family of nine kids, eight siblings. I grew up my whole life that way. Always wondered what was out there. And then, yeah, in 2009, I found both of these. And so Maurice, he lives in Minnesota. He was drafted by the Vikings. And he played there. He played for um, the Jets, played for a couple teams. And um, he lives in Minnesota now. He's married with two kids. And one of them actually plays for the Broncos. His name's Billy Turner. He's okay. an offensive lineman. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of – yeah, it, the story is just crazy. So – the other son, um, he played for Northern Iowa, 
who came here to Provo. Was he on that team? He was on that team. No. So if I have redshirted or had been a year, whatever, a year younger, if I had redshirted and was still here in 08 when BYU right. played Northern Iowa, First I, game could of the have, season. I could have tackled my brother and not known it. And not known it. That and is... he had, I think he had five catches in the game. I mean, good chances I would have tackled him. In fact, I joke with David Nixon. I say, yeah, you probably tackled my brother. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so... Uh, so that's Marie. Married two kids, and then Amy. She's married with five kids. So grew up with eight brothers and sisters, and then all of a sudden I gained seven more. So yeah. I, I literally have ten brothers and five sisters. What did these revelations do to you? Mean to you at the time? You're a grown man at this time. You're a pro football player. When you find these things out, um, you know it was just really cool. And and there's no there's no manual. There's no. I mean, you just kind of feel your way along and. And, and like I said, both situations were very different. With Maurice, um, you know, the first phone conversation I had with him, it was one of the most joyous experiences of my life. And, um, I mean, at one point at the end of the conversation, he broke down in tears. And uh, he, he said, Brian, you know, someday you might understand. You know, he said, um, I would imagine the good Lord will bless you with kids. That's what he said. And he said, when he does, I want you to think about what it would be like to lose one of them. And, and that's what happened to me, Brian. I have been praying for this phone call every day for 25 years. And today my prayer was answered. That's what he said to me on the phone at the time. It just it touched my heart. And, and like I said, my heart still breaks for him, just what he went through. And uh, just um, didn't have a choice in the matter. And so that was the experience with him. And then Amy was was a completely different experience. And, and I feel bad for her because... Um, you know, it was a tough thing for her to go through. She had to bear the shame of an unwed pregnancy in northern Utah in 1983 and 84. And, you know, as as great as the Mormons are and as great as the culture we are, we're very judgmental. And I, you know, I could just, I could just tell just talking to her, the, the look she got, the stare she got, and, and the, the verbal words that, that she heard. Um, from people at, within her family and outside of her family. And it was just really tough for her, and I, I, I still feel bad for her. It was a tough thing for her to go through, and she made the brave choice to place me for adoption and then kind of moved on with her life. And she, the way she looked at it was it was a mistake I made, not that I was a mistake, but that getting in that situation was a mistake. And she just kind of looked at it like, well, I'm going to move forward. And she got married, got married in the temple, and went on had a family. And the adoption was closed. She didn't think she'd ever see me and and so it just it really caught her off guard when uh when when we made contact and she didn't know what to do or her husband's the bishop and it's not like people knew her husband knew mm-hmm. and and um her family obviously knew but they had five kids who didn't know and they had made the decision as a couple not to tell them and they didn't they didn't just tell people about it going forward and so here you know there's this big skeleton in the closet what do we do and um so it, it kind of caught her off guard. It took her a little while, and then she warmed up to it, and, and uh, it's just been full steam ahead since then. It's been really, really cool. And, uh, I mean, the first time that I met the, her kids and her family, I mean, it was it – was, it was, um, if you ever seen the movie Antoine Fisher, um, fantastic movie, very similar story. Denzel the, in that? Is that yeah, is it, yeah, yep, yep. yeah. And uh, fantastic movie. And at the end, this kid meets all this family that he, he never knew. And um, that was very similar to the experience I had. Just all this family just coming in and hugs and tears and kisses. And it just, it was just, it was surreal. It was just amazing. 
One of your siblings in the Keel family, the Gary and Nancy Keel family, was Ed. Ed played, he predated you here at BYU. You followed him to BYU out of Brighton High School. When you were at Brighton High School, recruiting processes were going, was BYU close to a shoe-in for you, or did they have to really work hard for you? No, I mean, yeah, shoe-in is for sure. I mean, I, I grew up, we had season tickets, we came to the games. Um, I mean, I have early, early memories of coming to the games in that stadium and just loving it. And remember, I, I just remember as a young kid just thinking, like, this is what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to play on this field. And um, we went to some of those holiday bowls. And, you know, I got Ty Detmer's autograph. You know, I, I remember it. I remember being, um, well, I, I don't know if it was 90 or 91 when I got his autograph, but we went to the holiday bowl both of those years. So I would have either been six or seven. I remember getting his autograph, thinking mm. it was the coolest thing in the world. And, um, you know, I just, I, I remember they had the, like, they had this thing set up in the hotel down in San Diego with these arcades, and I was playing video games next to Kalen Hall and just loving it. Like, I was, you know, in heaven. And, um, you know, yeah, there was, that's what I was going to do. So in high school, um, I, recruiting was totally different back then. I was not heavily recruited. And so my junior year, I was recruited a little bit. And, um, you know, I, in fact, I tell the story, I, I got tons of letters and I got way more academic letters than I got football letters. <laughs> and, um, in fact, the story is kind of funny. I, I only received phone calls from three football coaches, BYU, Utah, and Harvard. That's it. <laughs> nobody else. Utah State? No, nobody else. Like, nobody else even called me. It was kind of funny. Um, this was junior year. I committed to BYU junior year, and then it was like... Case closed. Nobody even bothered. <laughs> I mean, nobody even, yeah, nothing. Nobody even called. So, done deal. Yeah. Dream come true. So, you, you get to BYU in 2002. I played, I mean, everybody thinks they're better than they are. I think I'm better than I was. But you got into a lot of games. I, sh- I, I should have played more, or I should have redshirted. Like, I, it's one of those things that kind of bugs me. Um, I, I, to a degree, I feel like my seasons in 2002 and 2005 were wasted a bit mm. because I did play. But I never redshirted, and you know I left BYU. I only started two years, and six I'm the, and seven. Yep, and yeah. those were great years. But I'm the type of guy like I I, I I I get asked all the time how much I miss football, and I have lots of friends who played for a long time in the NFL who don't miss it at all, and and I played with a lot of people in the NFL who kind of dreaded going to practice and just oh, I guess I'll play you know one more year. Yeah, it just was it was a different experience for a lot of them. I'm the opposite. I would give anything to go play another season in the NFL. I would give anything to play another season at BYU. So you wish you could have gotten in more meaningful games yes, for you. Yes, it really bothers me because I, I, I love football so much and I, I would give anything to play it again. And yeah, it bothers me that there was a lot of games that I didn't play, that I didn't play have meaningful playing time. So Still. freshman year comes and goes, and was, was it hard at all to make a decision to go on a mission at that point because you had a taste? It was something, mission was something that I always planned on doing. You know, I was going to graduate, go to BYU, go on a mission, go to the NFL. Like, that was my thing. And um, so, yeah, when it came time to yeah. go, it really wasn't. I do think if I didn't go, if I would have stayed, that I would have started that next year. In fact, I had a coach. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, <laughs> but there was a coach that approached me and asked me to stay. Mm. And um, he, he said, yeah, why don't you stay, you know, play this season and then go on your mission in January. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we got USC on the schedule, Notre Dame, uh, Georgia Tech, I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was alluring, but at the same point, it's like, yeah, I plan on going on a mission since I was four. I'm about to turn 19, I'm going. So that, that was that. 
Mission to Toronto. Which cities did you serve in up there? Um, first place was Bowmanville. I was there six months. Then I was in Oakville for nine months. And then I was in the downtown Toronto for nine months. And then my last three months was in Napanee. You, you come back off your mission, and it's a new football coach now. You left with Gary Croton, came back with Bronco. In Bronco's first year as the head coach, uh, you get three years with Bronco. The first three years of his tenure here, you left with a team that didn't go to a bowl. You came back, and it was the first team to go to a bowl since that little stretch started. Uh, what was it like to be part of that kind of rebuilding effort, if you will? Yeah, it was awesome. I was glad to be on my mission the two years I was because literally the two years I was on my mission, Utah lost one game. <laughs> And BYU lost a million games. Went nine and seven, nine and fourteen, I think, in those two years. Yeah, yeah. it was a great time to be gone for me. Um, <laughs> I I remember finding out that Bronco got the job as the head coach when I was on my mission. Was just elated. I thought he would be fantastic. Just in the the two months that I had him of spring, um, I thought it was fantastic. Fantastic coach, just a great leader. I was really excited for where the program would go. I mean, I still remember my dad sent me. He would send me newspaper clippings regularly um while you're gone yeah he i mean he my dad i was gone like 110 weeks on my mission and i think my dad wrote me 85 other weeks like he he was really faithful wrote me almost every week and um he'd always send me newspaper clippings and i still remember opening up the newspaper clipping with on the front was the announcement that they that they were going back to the old uniform styles and and i got goosebumps i mean i remember sitting there as a missionary just Elated that I wouldn't have to wear those ugly BYU uniforms again, <laughs> and um, and just so excited. I literally got goosebumps. You know, just really excited. So and I, I hate to abbreviate an entire career, but you did some amazing things uh, in the five, six, and seven season. You started in six and seven, a uh, first team all conference in two thousand seven. Won a lot of games. The last two years you played there, twenty two and four was BYU's record. Yeah, so I I take a lot of pride in that and how how well how we we righted the ship and. I mean, we were fantastic and really close. I mean, we lost four games, and all four of those games are one play away from us winning. And, you know, when I get together, which I do all the time with the guys from that era, and we talk about it, I mean, we're all still mad about every single one of those games that we lost. Okay, which were the four teams that you lost uh, to? We lost to Arizona on a 56-yard field goal as time expired. Double overtime to Boston College. We missed two field goals in the last three minutes of regulation. We missed a field goal in overtime. Um, so yeah, it was Matt Ryan out at Boston College. That's 06. 07, we lost to UCLA down in the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, we completely dominated them. I mean, we had, I think we had 250 yards of offense more than they did, um, but we got killed with, with penalties and turnovers. Um, so we lost to them, and then we lost to down probably the most forgettable game. We lost at Tulsa. I think the score was like 55-48, something along 55, those lines. 55-47. 55-47. And... As yeah. a defensive player, I was ashamed for the performance that we put on. There, I mean, in, in hindsight, we all like to justify things, and we talked about this game literally two weeks ago. Tulsa had the number one offense in the country that year. Gus Malzahn, I think, was the guy down there at that point. They're killing yeah. it. Yeah. And so I take a little you know, consolation. Well, they, they donkey-stomped everybody. But that being said, I mean, we get one more stop. You score 47 points, you should win. 
You mentioned that UCLA game. I remember that game for Max Hall being tough as nails. Yeah. That game got really beat up Their that day. Their defensive end was just destroying yeah, our but, offensive line. No. He outgained them. I don't know the exact yardage, but it was at least 250 yards. And it was, his, it was his second game as BYU's quarterback, yeah. and he proved early what kind of guy Against he was going to be. very good defense. NFL career, four teams over six years, right, or parts of six years. Correct. How do you look back on your NFL career? Uh, you probably It sounds like you wish it would have lasted longer. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I have a, had a great career. Um NFL was awesome. It was a dream come true. It was all that. And then I'm the type of never satisfied. You know, I, I, you know, I think I'm better than I am. I should have been a starter. I should have, you know, played on better teams. I should have gone to the Pro Bowl, all these things. And, yeah, so that bugs me and it will bug me forever. And, you know, I'm going to raise my kids that way to never be satisfied. And so I, I'm grateful that I made it and privileged – it is a privilege and it's an honor, and it is farther than the vast majority of people are able to go. And I played for a long time. It was fun. But I'm very hungry. The taste is still in my mm. mouth. And like I said, I would give – and the thing that bugs me is, like, physically I could play. I could, I could play this year physically. Um, you know, and it's, but the teams, they don't know that. Because most guys at my age, um, they've lost a step or two or three or four and their body is deteriorating. Um, but I've worked really hard. I worked really hard after I tore my ACL to get back to where I was, and I did. And, you know, you, you just it was, it was the case where I was standing on the corner waiting for the date, and she never showed up. So hmm. here I am now. What's uh, business and family like life for you now? Um, so business is, business is pretty good. Um, I have just a little boutique private equity firm, and um, it's called Invictus Consulting. And we have two portfolio companies. We have a a uh, concrete company. We do residential flat work. That's called K&K Pro Concrete. And then I just acquired three months ago a janitorial company. It's called uh, Best Janitorial. And we do mostly retail cleaning, um, like malls and um, you know pharmacies, things like that. Okay. And um, so, yeah, so that, that one's given me a run for my money, literally, <laughs> right now. So it's been sucking up a lot of my time. But, um, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. I, I miss football, but uh, life goes on, and, and business has been challenging, and it's been fun. You say three kids? Yeah, so we just had our third. We got Jada, who's five, um, Cruz, he's three, and then we just had Jersey, and she's five months old. Uh, clearly, you still follow the Cougs. You were last Saturday's game, you said, and they are in a spot that you found yourself in, both as a junior and a senior, a couple losses early and having to right the ship. Yeah, so when I was driving down here, actually, I was thinking about some things, and, you know, BYU fans are going to listen to this. Um, a lot of BYU fans right now, the sky is falling and I'm not going to sugar. I'm not one to sugarcoat things and I don't beat around the bush. BYU's played some of the ugliest football in the last three games that I've ever seen in my 33 years on earth and 25 years of being able to watch BYU football. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of things they have to fix and our program's not where we want it to be right now. One of the things that I did think about when I was driving down here, that Wisconsin game was awful. But I just the thing came into my mind, you know, what a tough spot for Bo Hodge to get thrown out there. First college game against a top ten team and and it was brutal. And the thought came into my mind, I was on my mission, so I missed this, but I heard it that there were some tough, really tough games that John Beck had yeah. in his first couple games and you know, interceptions and pick sixes and just some bad situation. And Things get better. I, it just yeah, I just yeah. the thought came into my mind. You know, at that time when that was happening to John Beck, 
I'm sure that BYU fans were thinking, well, this guy's a bum. You're like, why, why is he our quarterback? And I'm not about to say that Bo Hodge is going to become John Beck right. or Tanner or any of those guys. But all I'm saying is, look what became of John Beck. Look what became of the program just three years later. We got to a point where we dominated. And yeah, those two years, we didn't lose a conference game. We didn't lose a game at home. And the four losses that we did lose were on the road and by one point, or, or excuse me, by one play. Um, so yeah, I think things can get better. I'm not... Uh, uh, profit. I'm not saying they're going to get better. I'm hopeful that they will, and they can. Well, Brian, it was uh, great having you in today, and we could have gone a lot more on different subjects we hit, but hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Uh, Glad that you're doing so well and so successful right now, and uh, wish you all the best. Thanks, Greg. Always a pleasure. Brian Keel and our Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. Connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Sincere thanks to tonight's guests in chronological order, BYU TV's Spencer Linton, co-host of BYU Sports Nation, kicked off our show tonight. Followed up by Kerry Summerhays-Roberts. Kerry Roberts, head coach of the BYU Women's Golf Program. So good to have her in and talk about her life and her family and uh, what she has planned for BYU Women's Golf. Back-to-back championships and their pick to win a third straight in the WCC this year. Best of luck to Carrie and her squad. And then for Brian Keel. Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker and NFL linebacker joining us in studio. Great guest lineup tonight. Next week, listen for David Nixon. He's just like Brian Keel, a former BYU linebacker and NFL linebacker and working for BYU TV. So David Nixon will kick us off next week. We'll then hear from legendary Olympian, trackster, and current coach at BYU, Ed Stone, along with former Cougar hoopster Mark Bigelow. So David Nixon, Ed Stone, Mark Bigelow on next week's show. Hope you join us for that. And join us every Wednesday from 6 to 7 Mountain Time, 8 to 9 Eastern for Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. Listen to us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Catch us on the podcast on the Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel podcast feed. You can also get it from the show page at byuradio.org. So, thanks again for tuning in. My name is Greg Grubel. This has been Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Good night.